Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bellemel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. We are back in the Psalms today. So I just said one chapter per day, but we're going to do three chapters today because that's our reading plan when we get to the Psalms. We usually do multiple Psalms because they're relatively short. If you do want a more in-depth engagement with the Psalms, I have done devotionals on each psalm, so I did that um, before we started this reading plan. So you can go on the same place as you're watching this, YouTube, Facebook, Sermon Audio, and you can find the series through the psalms if you want something more in-depth. On this one, because we do three at a time, we sort of stay at the, at the more high-level overview. All right, let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we dig into his word today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that is living and active, for your word that is life to us. You alone have the words of eternal life, and we have come to hear from you. So speak to us, we pray, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The Psalms are so wonderful in that they give us the full range of human emotions and a full vocabulary of faith by which we can come into God's presence in prayer and in praise, no matter how we're feeling or no matter where we are in our lives. Psalm 13 finds David feeling abandoned by God, feeling as if God's face is hidden from him. Now, Jesus experienced this reality on the cross when God hid his face from Jesus as Jesus was made sin for us and for our salvation. At times when God seems far away, at times when life seems overwhelmingly hard, at times when depression, anxiety, fear, loneliness, spiritual depression, isolation, defeat, discouragement come in and overwhelm us, Psalm 13 gives us the language to ask God, hard, honest, and yet faithfully, how long? You see, how long is a question of faith because you trust God's goodness, you trust that this this down point is not the end of the story, that you will not be here forever, but it's hard, and so you're being honest and you're saying, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? You know that he won't, but then how long? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take sorrow, take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? You see, without God's face, all we can do is take counsel in our own heart. And we're left in our sorrow without the hope 
that he alone can bring us. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? This is Satan, the enemy of our souls, who loves to see us downcast, loves to see us doubting God, loves to see us feel abandoned by God. He's the one in those moments who's coming and whispering to us, Ah, God doesn't really love you. Ah, God's not really for you. Ah, you've messed up too much this time. God's left you. He's never going to show you his face again. But those are the lies of the enemy. And we need God to come and refresh our hearts with his hope so that we can rejoice over our enemies. Because the enemy would say, I have prevailed over him if we were abandoned by God's grace and we were left in our unbelief and our doubting and our fear. But we want God to come to us. And David expresses this faith, the wonderful last stanza, I have trusted in your steadfast love. Steadfast love is the ESV translation of hesed, which is my favorite Hebrew word. It's one of the most wonderful words in the Hebrew Bible besides the name of God, Yahweh. It is means God's covenant committed, unfailing, loving kindness for his own people when we don't deserve it. So God is committed to love us. God is committed to be for us. God has made precious covenant promises to us. We don't deserve them. We can't demand them by, by our rights. But God graciously gives his steadfast love, his loving kindness, which is just and merciful and gracious and kind and patient. So he says, I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua, which is the same root word, the same basic word as the name of Jesus, Yeshua. Jesus' name means Yahweh saves or he saves or salvation. It's all basically the same root Hebrew word, which is with different accents on it. And so I, my heart shall rejoice. We can read that in the Psalms. Whenever we read about salvation, we can think, well, Jesus is my salvation. And his name means salvation. So I've trusted in your chesed, in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your Jesus, in my Savior. For Jesus himself, he was rejoicing in the salvation that God had promised to bring him from death, to bring him into life again, to make him the captain of salvation for all who would believe in him. Jesus was the first one saved from death, and through him we have salvation. And then he says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Even when I'm in my pain, even when I'm in my depression and sorrow and loneliness and fear, I can say God has dealt bountifully with me. He's been far better to me than I deserve. And so I will sing. Psalm 14. To the choir master of David, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They are all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people 
Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. Hmm. Psalm 14 offers us a very straightforward, very bold, very uh, challenging assessment of the condition of humanity. It begins with the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The definition of foolishness, according to scripture, is to live as if God does not exist. To say in your heart, even if you don't say it with your lips, there is no God. To live either an explicit atheism or an implicit atheism by the way we live, living as if God doesn't exist, makes us a fool. And Psalm 14, which is repeated word for word in Psalm 53, only psalm that's basically repeated nearly word for word, Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, tells us the same thing that Romans 3 then picks up the first part of this psalm, well, verses 3 uh, and 4, well, sorry, 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3, and even the end of 1, gets picked up in Romans 3. So the, this section, this opening section of Psalm 14, is actually repeated three times in the Bible, here in Psalm 14, and then in Psalm 53, and then in Romans 3. So God's very clearly, without question, repeatedly emphasizing the truth of this. And that is this truth. This is true of everyone by nature. Everyone by nature is a fool. Everyone by nature is a practical atheist. Everyone by nature is corrupt and does abominable deeds. There is none who does good. And when God says none, he means none. Not even one, it says in verse 3. So this is not so much David saying, all those people out there are so terrible. It's David looking at the whole of humanity, including his own heart, and saying all of us are without understanding. We don't in and of ourselves seek God. We are corrupt. We don't in and of ourselves do good. Not even one of us. That's a pretty dire assessment but that is that is the bible's assessment of human nature we are made in the image of god but we are so fallen and so corrupt that there is no good in us in and of ourselves so then we turn from that and david is concerned because those who have been left in their sinful nature the evil doers they are eating up my people as they eat bread and they're not calling on the lord they are, they are without knowledge, and they are persecuting God's people, and yet God is in control, and so God will judge them. God is with the generation of the righteous. God will shame the plans of the poor. Uh, sorry, you would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. So, so David is speaking to these about these people and then to these people who are left in their sinful nature and who don't know the Lord, saying, look, you guys... You're eating up God's people as you eat bread. You're shaming the plans of the poor. Some of these might even be professing uh, believers. They might even be part of God's covenant people, but they are actual heart atheists. And so David says, you're in trouble because God's the refuge of those that you're taking advantage of. God is with the generation of the righteous. And then he says, oh, that's salvation. There's that word again salvation yeshua jesus oh that salvation for israel would come out of zion when the lord restores the fortunes of his people let jacob rejoice let israel be glad 
I take the end of Psalm 14 as a picture of what's going to happen when Jesus comes again, when Jesus comes forth out of the heavenly Zion and the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. When Jesus comes again, those who have been eating up God's people as bread, those who have been shaming the plans of the poor, those who have been terrorizing God's people, and all around the world, Christians are the most persecuted minority in the world, and yet the world in its crusades for justice and to care about those who are persecuted and discriminated against doesn't pay any attention whatsoever to the fact, the documented fact, that Christians are the most persecuted minority in the world. They just ignore it. But Jesus is not ignoring it, and he is coming again soon. Now, Psalm 15 contrasts Psalm 14. Psalm 14 paints a picture of the wicked. Psalm 15 paints a picture of the righteous man. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. So we've had this picture of the wicked, and we're told that all of us by nature are the wicked. We're told that God is going to bring salvation and deliverance for his people. So now the question is, well, then who can stand? Who can stand before the presence of God? Who can dwell in his holy hill? Who is accepted by God as being righteous? And we're given this beautiful portrait of the character of the righteous man. Someone who walks blamelessly and does what is right. Someone who speaks the truth in his heart, not just saying what he knows is true with his lips, but really from the heart speaking the truth. Doesn't slander, doesn't do evil, doesn't take up a reproach who despises the vile person, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That is a powerful line at the end of verse 4, especially when you realize this fact. There's only one person in the history of the world about whom Psalm 15 is perfectly true, consistently in every moment of his life, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the righteous man of Psalm 15, who has the right to stand before God because he alone has done all of these things with perfect consistency all of his life. And he swore to his own hurt and did not change. He covenanted with God the Father before the creation of the world that he would pay for the penalty of the sins of his people on the cross. He swore to his own hurt and he did not change. He did not waver. He went to the cross. He took it for us. He who does these things shall never be moved. Jesus sits at God's right hand as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He shall never be moved from his throne. This Psalm 15 is first and foremost, and ultimately a picture of Jesus. And then it is a picture of us who belong to Jesus as Christ is in us and we are in Christ. If you want to grow in Christ-like character, Psalm 15 lays out for you what it looks like to grow in Christ-like character. 
But know this, only Christ perfectly fulfills this. And your only hope of becoming more like this is because Jesus is already like this and Christ is in you and the Holy Spirit is conforming you to his likeness. It's not a moralistic to-do list. It's a portrait of our salvation that has been given to us and is being worked out in us until that day when we will be conformed to this image perfectly when Jesus comes again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which is so wonderful and perfect. Write it on our hearts. Help us to remember these things throughout the day today. Help us to think about you when we feel far from you, to cry out to you, how long, O Lord? Help us to recognize the evil wickedness of the world around us and help us to cling to Jesus, the righteous one, who is our salvation, our righteousness, and our peace. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, tomorrow the plan is to go back to Genesis. We're going to be finishing up the book of Genesis in the next two days. Genesis 49 tomorrow and then 50 the day after. We're getting very close on Sunday, March 20th. We begin the book of Exodus. That's kind of a big turning point. Uh, Maybe there's someone that you want to invite to join us in this reading plan. Be a good idea to tell them to jump in on Sunday because we're starting a new book, Exodus, and they can feel like they're in a sort of a fresh start place. That would be good to invite others to join us as we go through God's word together. Have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.